Thank you very much, Herb. What a beautiful song. Uh, Pastor Steve um, uh, educated me a little bit uh, between services, and um, that song that Herb just played is from Johann Sebastian Bach, and many of you uh, will know that at the end of many of his church compositions, he would write three letters, S-D-G, standing for Soli Deo Gloria. That is our theme for today, uh, the glory of God. I want to start this morning with having a little bit more fun with words. Are you okay with that? I love uh, word games. One of my dad's favorite types of puzzles were the simple little word searches. Have you ever done a word search? We have a block of random letters and you try to find the, the words out of the word bank. It's a pretty simple puzzle, but it's always been fun for me and certainly was for my dad. And uh, Thinking about words, <clears throat> when um, you hear the word love, how would you define love? Go ahead. It's not a trick, I promise. Selflessness. Selflessness. Very good. Warm and fuzzy. Warm and fuzzy. Affection. Yeah, I, I was curious uh, what Siri might uh, define love. Do you want to hear what Siri had to say this past week? I asked her, actually on my phone, uh, it's a man's voice, we call him Man Siri. Um, so I, it took me about three or four questions to kind of get... Uh, him to respond. This is what he said. I said, please, what is love? Here's his response. As I understand it, love refers to a deep, tender, ineffable feeling of affection and solicitude. (laughs) So that drove me to the dictionary to look up a couple of those terms and... uh, I won't bore you with those details. Wait, we're familiar with the word love. You know, we're two days from Halloween. Um, when we think about Halloween, sometimes you might think of the word gory. What does gory mean to you? What over here? Ooh, blood, deep description, gory, okay? All right, we, we know what gory is, especially this week of Halloween. But how about the word Glory. If we add an L after the G to gory and we get glory. If you're like me, sometimes you walk with the kind of a general sense. You think you might know what glory means. You've heard it used. We don't use it very often. When was the last time you used the word glory in a sentence? In the past week? Anybody? The past two months? Oh, God. You guys, you're so far ahead of me. That's good. That's right. Other than at church and singing songs. We usually don't use the word glory. So I want to spend a little time today thinking about this big term. And, you know, our our few minutes together today really won't do it justice. But to kind of prime the pump a little bit about glory. It's not a term we use a whole lot. But if you've ever um, restored something that's old or know somebody who has, uh, perhaps an old car, sometimes we use the expression that that has been restored to its former Glory, right? When I think of glory, the very first thing, I just can't help it, that pops into my mind is the movie released back in 1989 by that name, Glory, uh, starring Denzel Washington and Matthew Broderick about the Civil War and the uh, African-American regiment there. People, we sometimes seek out the spotlight. 
and seek out our own glory through what we do. We talk about glory uh, in athletics, especially around the Olympics. And uh, we uh, think about glory of standing on the podium, of receiving a medal and having your name in the, the record books. We, we seek out at times the spotlight and glory through fame, uh, through conquest, or uh, in movies or business or accumulating wealth. We, uh, we know what glory is to some degree through those ideas. Is. The ancients, people of days gone by, used to talk about glory as being courage in battle because there was often this thought about afterlife that if we fought well, and even if we died on the battlefield, and if we died in the right way, then there would be glory for us stored up, not just in human memory, in the history books that would be written, but also in a future life. In medieval theology, there... Often church services had come to the point where uh, services of a church were viewed as a reenactment of Calvary, of what Jesus did on the cross. And each time a church service was uh, performed, it was done in order to secure God's blessing often. And the more often a service was done, then the more pleased God was and the more often we could secure the blessing of God. In fact, it had become in many places, church services had come to the point where it wasn't even necessary for a congregation to be present for a church service to have its value. And it reinforced the idea that grew and grew during the medieval period that the essence of Christianity was somehow detached from day-to-day living. And so if you really wanted to know God, where would you go? You would go to the monastery. If you really wanted to serve God, your only real option was to become a priest or a friar. Because Christian life had become so detached from the normal ebb and flow of real Life, our waking up in the morning life, our engaging with our family life, our going to work life, it had so little to do with the reality of God, certainly any sense and detached from any sense of the glory of God and glorifying God in our daily living. And that's part of what the gift of the Reformers brought to us was a reconnection a reconnection of Christian life into the day-to-day realities of living. Not a detached version of it. Today I just want to talk to you about two main ideas. One is about the glory of God. And that could take us weeks, but we're going to try to sum it up. And number two is that we are to glorify God in all of our living. That is the call of Christ in us. You ready to go with me, number one? God is glorious. That is just who He is. If we were to go back and do some more word investigating, um, theological dictionaries describe glory as something that is unusually fine and deserving of honor. It's bright. It is shining. We One of the songs we sang today, Shine, Jesus, Shine, the second verse, says, Lord, I come into your awesome presence from the shadows into your radiance. By the blood I have entered, I may enter your brightness. Search me, try me, consume all my darkness. Shine on me. Shine on me. It's a 
profession of a desire to know something of the glory of God, the brightness of His person. We have uh, in many parts of our church building an older heating system. We're so grateful to Herb and Charles and others who have helped um, uh, repair and uh, make it better. But in many places, it's a radiator system. And it's either on or it's off. Right, Chris? You know what it's like up on the third floor. When the radiator's on, you know it. When it's off, you know it. And a radiator, by definition... It does what it's intended to do. It's a source of heat, and it heats up hot, and then the heat radiates out of it. And so when we think about the glory of God, it is part of not just what He does, that's part of it, but more importantly, it is the essence of who He is. We're talking about who God is when we describe the glory of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, which has been read for us already, In this great picture of God on His throne, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You see, as God's holiness radiates out of His person, the earth is filled with a sense of His glory. It just comes out of Him. It radiates out of Him. When the Apostle Paul, you might remember, he was on his way before he ever became a Christian believer. He was the greatest persecutor of the church and he was on his way to ferret out the Christians in the town of Damascus. And on his way, the Bible describes him being knocked off his horse with this blinding light. And the same Greek word used that's often translated glory describes the brightness of the light that shone down on him. You might remember too in Luke chapter 9 when James, John, and Peter went up with Jesus on the hillside. And this cloud descends upon them in that moment. And all of a sudden, it describes Jesus being transformed before them. And He glowed. It's just this indescribable picture. And they didn't know what to do. They were overcome and overwhelmed with what they were observing and witnessing. But that was a description of the glory of God. You remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about If you want to know the importance of Jesus, three great passages to look at. Do you remember what the number was? Number one? All right, this is a review. For those of you who are here, what what were the books? Hebrews chapter, Colossians chapter, and John chapter one. We might even talk a little bit about John when we come back to Christmas in December. But John chapter 1, one of the great pictures of the cosmic God coming into the present reality, into time and and physical reality. It describes the coming of Jesus and His appearing among us. It describes that as a helpful way of knowing the glory of God. We have seen the glory. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this, that when we consider all of the attributes of God, And if we're to try to mash them into a single word, perhaps the word that best captures the essence of who God is, is the word glory. It is who God is. It includes what He does. And it has significance for us because if you and I are to walk in and live in and to enjoy the glory of God, guess what? We are called to glorify God in everything that we do. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he 
He makes this statement. He says, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. You see, that which is created by God has been made in order to glorify God. In Psalm chapter 19, the Bible says this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. You know, we have learned so much and are learning continuously about the expanse of the heavens above and around us. Have you enjoyed ever pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope? Aren't they amazing? The beauty of a spiral galaxy and learning from astrophysicists just how the the universe is is growing and uh, it's just amazing all that we're learning. Some astronomers have even said that the placement of the Earth in our particular solar system is really wonderful, not just because it allows life to flourish, but because we are particularly placed in our solar system, and with all of the other reasons that might, that might hinder our observation of the heavens, earth is placed in such a wonderful strategic location so that we as people, we can gaze out into the heavens and we can rejoice because the heavens declare the glory of God. It's amazing. Everything that God has created is made to glorify God. Does anybody have a coin that I could borrow? I'll give it back. I promise, I'll give it back. I want to invite the children. Children, will you come and join me? Kids, come on down for a minute. Uh, uh, Somebody brought one already. This is a shiny, used to be copper. Any other children want to join me here? Come on, Caleb. Hey, Caleb, can you tell me? Do you guys know who this is? Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. This is a penny. It's pretty shiny. This come out of your pocket? Oh, is your mom's? Wow. It's really shiny. The penny. The penny has a picture of a president, Abraham Lincoln. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we put on our coins, presidents, is that it helps us remind, it reminds us about something of our history, right? We remember about the presidency of Abraham Lincoln. We can remember the, the struggle back about 150 years ago or so and the Civil War and all the reasons that that was fought. And it reminds us something about our, our national government. It, it helps us think about some things in the past. You know, Jesus, one day, I want to ask you guys a question. <clears throat> Knowing what you know about Jesus, do you think you would ever want to go and purposely try to trick him or trip him up with your words? No, uh, Jesus, I'm sorry. Yeah, that would be kind of funny, wouldn't it? Uh, but people were constantly trying to do that to Jesus. You know, they, they would come and they were trying to catch him. They were, they were setting word traps for him so that, that he might say the wrong things and therefore they could accuse him of certain stuff and get him into a lot of trouble. And uh, Jesus never fell for it. He's pretty smart. Jesus is. And uh, one day some guys came along and they said, you know, <clears throat> we live as Jewish people. We live in the midst of, uh, under the Roman government, many of them say it was, it was really abusive and oppressive. It wasn't for them a good place to live. And many of them wanted to live free and independent from out of the, the rule of the Romans. And so some people came to trick, kind of trick Jesus. They said, hey, Jesus. They said, um, are we supposed to pay taxes or not? 
you know, behind the question was, because if we do, we're supporting the very government that we don't think is very good to us. And here's what Jesus says. He answers the question, but he answers a much bigger question. You know what he asked for? He says, somebody have a coin. Give me a coin. Somebody took a coin of the time of Denarius and they put it in his hand and he picks it up and he holds it up probably something like this. And he says, who's on this coin? And for them back then, about 2,000 years ago, it was a picture of Caesar. And Jesus says, that's right. The picture on the coin, the one who is belongs to this, this coin belongs to him. So he says, pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but pay to God what belongs to to God. So what was he saying? Just like this coin has been stamped and imprinted with a picture of Abraham Lincoln, coins back then were imprinted with a picture of Caesar. And so the things that are imprinted with those images become uh, that which they are to give back in that direction. And so why, why, why would he say that we are to give to God what is God's if you're talking about money? Because he's saying that each of us have been imprinted We are created in the image of God. And so if you bear the image of God, you are intended to turn your life back to God in praise. You see, that which is created by God is intended to give glory to God. So you guys can go back and sit down. I'm going to keep talking about this, so keep listening, okay? That which is created by God is intended to glorify God. The heavens bear glory to God. You and I are imprinted as uh, with the image of God in our own creation. We are born to give glory to God. In another place in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is describing the people that struggle with this idea of glorifying God. He said, you know, there's some people in the world that when they they do good deeds, they go and give to the poor. You know, they they do it often out of a concern so that people might pat them on the back. They do it in order to seek the praise of people. Well done. Well done. You gave so much money. You did a good deed there. That was awesome. We're going to fly an airplane with a banner saying, good job, and put your name at the end of it. He described those people as not those who were concerned with glorifying God. You see, so often we can get wrapped up with wanting to be um, elevated, have the spotlight on us, be given credit for the, the accomplishments of our lives. And part of that begs the question is, where do you and where do I prefer the light to be shined? If you controlled the spotlight of the world... Where would you shine it? And so often we struggle with wanting to turn the light squarely upon us so that other people might come and praise us. The same word for glory, doxa, is used in that description of seeking the praise of people rather than doing that which we have been called to do, that which we have been gifted to do, that which we have been given the image of God to do, Instead of seeking our own glory, we are to seek to do uh, the glory of God. We are to seek to do that which gives glory to God. John Piper, pastor in Minnesota, uh, said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I think part of what Jesus was getting to when He said, people, you're not supposed to live your lives so that you get credit for stuff. 
part of that is that when we are tempted into that, it likely is pointing to a dissatisfaction deep within us in our relationship with God. And we've become discontented with doing the acts of our life and living our lives so that God might receive the glory. And out of our discontentment, we move into a place where we, we lurch and we lust for the praise of other people. But you see, John Piper reminds us that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Once we are delivered by grace through faith into the love of Jesus Christ, the glory of God is not something um, that we just never think about or something that becomes boring. It is to be rejoiced in. Whatever you do, in all things of your life, do it for the glory of God. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Live your life to honor God, to please Him in all ways. Next Sunday, we're going to spend a little bit of time, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. We're going to spend some moments reflecting on if indeed we are to be people individually and corporately who embody the person of Jesus and then delightedly go out and share that with others. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the calling and the, the need for our missional engagement as a church, both right across the street where you live and across the sea where other people live. Wherever God is at work, He has called you and I to be involved with Him in that work. And we're going to spend some time talking about what does it mean for us in all ways to live to the glory of God so that people can see Him in us. Living God, this is part of our prayer this morning is that You would be glorified in us. We often pray about it. I'm not sure we often think deeply about it. Just what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. God, we're, we're frail. We confess that we have feet of clay and that we're not always what we want to be or should be even. And God, rather than crushing us or putting Your foot on our face and pushing us off, You desire to pick us up and hold us and re-encourage us and set us right again so that our lives increasingly communicate Your glory, so that we might do those good deeds that You've prepared in advance for us to do. And when people see those things, they don't rejoice in us as much as they rejoice in You. Help us to turn the spotlight to You. Give us that desire. Help us to be contented in You so that we need not pursue the adulation of other people. We need not seek out the praise constantly of other people. That we can be settled in You and our lives are continually oriented toward glorifying You so that others might see You more clearly. Help us, we pray. For it is Your glory alone to which our lives are lived. May that be true increasingly so for each one of us.
and for this church and to our future. In Jesus' name we pray for His glory and for His name's sake. Amen.